Hanging on the wall in the next room in some cheapish frames that came from insert big box store here are a series of architectural photos of some of the great buildings around downtown Chicago. The edges are just a little pixelated if you look close enough. The colors are blown out in several places. I mean, come on, the bean looks like it was built by Cylons. And at best, they follow the rule of almost thirds, but I love them. They've followed me through several apartments and houses through the years and are typically one of the first things to go up because they're a structural component of home to me. You see, these mediocre at best photos are mine. They originate from a particularly important journey to Chicago with my then girlfriend turned fiance on that very trip and were the result of the most basic point and shoot photography with my now infamous iPhone 4 of the day. Sometime later, my, by that point, wife printed, framed, and gifted me those photos from that trip. They mean the world to me. If you're wondering by this point why I'm filling airtime with more than decade-old photos from an ancient iPhone, it's because that's just how important these memorialized moments can be to people. So when Nikon releases a camera that, in no uncertain terms, is focused, <laughs> pun intended, on nostalgia, manual photo manipulation, and the build quality of a Sherman tank, the very train of thought I describe above is obviously still important to some out there. Today we're going to talk about pictures, photos, why they're not necessarily the same thing, and the first in a likely long line of evolving conversation on the tools we use to capture them. Literally hours on the heels of cracking open the box, let's get hands-on with Nikon's brand new Z4 DSLR. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's Solid State Podcast. I'm your host John Joyce. I'm Eric Sargent. And I'm Cody Toscano. And we're here this week. Uh, we're kicking off a series. Um, full disclosure, I don't know if it's going to... I'm, I'm fairly positive it won't be a one-part series. What I don't know <laughs> is it'll be a two-part series, a five-part series, or a 200-part series. And the reason for that is we as a technology and especially gadget community, I truly don't believe we know the answer to the question we're trying to solve. We may never answer it during the time of this podcast. So th right. this series is quite literally going to be what is a photo. So welcome to sure. what is a photo part one, <laughs> um, specifically under the lens. Uh, I see what I did there of, <laughs> um, of what would normally be more of a what's in the box episode, but we're really making a point of doing this in a much bigger scope, a much wider context, which is what is a photo today in the context of Nikon's and I do mean brand shiny new ZF camera that um, thanks to some very, very aggressively hard work and, ba and back-end trickery, Eric actually has that camera freshly in his hands as of yeah. yesterday. So yeah. also, this is, even for us, light on the hands-on time for what we would normally do for a What's in the Box episode. But and, we, and we lighter of, than I expected, and I'll get into that. Oh, geez. <laughs> that's, that's bad even for us. Um, no. So Eric and I talked about, okay, do we feel comfortable doing this episode after what literally amounts to about 12 hours with the device? And my big takeaway was, yes, because as much as we want to talk about the device, it's actually about the concept. This what is a photo that we're going to talk about I, I do honestly believe this will span a very long time um, yeah. in different installments because the conversation's evolving. We we talked about it ever so briefly in the, even more briefly in the iPhone 15 discussion and then much deeper in the Google Pixel 8 discussion because of the AI implications of those, to those photos. But this is going back all the way to smart HDR and mm -hmm. like all these, these, these computational photography modes that have been happening to our smartphone cameras for years. Eric, you've talked briefly on the show before about how those features have very quietly, unless it's a space you pay close attention to, been sneaking into the full DSLR camera space. Yeah, absolutely. And now with AI breaking into the scene on the smartphone side, when do we reach the point where the same thing happens again and that AI technology bleeds into the camera space? Because I do think the reason I called there. out, right, the reason we I called out like the peep, you know, the masses versus not even the us is the you. You are our resident camera. You live in that world. I like to think that I do a few days a year. 
you really, really do live in that world. It's something you follow very closely. And I would you know, consider you something of an expert, at least on it. And at least in the context of this show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. I can, I'll, I'll let it go with that qualification. <laughs> well, well tr- truly, because to you, you are aware of these things have been happening in that space yeah. for a very long time and are, and, are, and are even still ramping up. I'd firmly believe to the masses most people see a purpose-built, bespoke camera sitting on a table, and they firmly believe that that device is when you press a button, a shutter goes off, and it takes a picture of what's in front of the lens. Right. And we've kind of been conditioned to understand that our phones are doing all sorts of crazy stuff to these photos because you can pinch and zoom and twist and draw and do all these things. Most people see that Canon, Nikon, Fuji sitting on the table like, okay, people pick it up, they wrangle knobs and dials on super fancy lenses and poof, a picture appears that they then dump into Photoshop and do a whole bunch of stuff to after. Obviously, that is the case. I don't think it really, I hadn't thought about it as much as I should have until very, very recently when you were talking about this camera. And that's what really inspired me to take this direction with this episode and many to come because, and this is where I'm going to kind of immediately hand over the reins, that is just not what's happening with this and, and many others like it. But I was just shocked as you went through the bullet list with me of what's happening every time you press the shutter button on this camera that to add you know, to add insult to injury was very intentionally made to look like it came off of a camera shelf that predates computational photography by decades. So with that, the uh, Nikon ZF, take it away. Well, I'll dive into the, because I don't have a ton to say about the hardware yet because I've just barely got my hands on it. I'll go through that real quick on it. So in the Wayback Machine, John and I both got Canon R6s within the last couple of on years. On this show. Yeah, <laughs> on this show. And used them. And, and I honestly thought it was going to be a camera that I had for a lot longer. But it was, and it was a great camera. And I love the camera. Um, but I also needed to trade it in, trade it in to get a new camera. So um, it, it, had, it had very much the standard DSLR shape that all of them have had in recent years. You know, the nice comfy grip that you hold on to, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the system the focus system that's like magic like we talked about all that kind of stuff so i enjoyed using it but i was feeling more like i was just going out and taking snapshots with it i was sitting it in program mode and or aperture priority mode and just snapping pictures with it and just running so i was kind of thinking you know like i do sometimes i wanted to have a more purpose-built device that i could do that with go out and take snapshots when i was feeling like it but also if i wanted to get more intentional about my photography and slow down and make it a manual process. I could of course do that with the R6 because it has all the dials that you can program on the front Mm -hmm. and back to do that with. Um, But it's all in screen. You're staring in the screen while you click a little thing across the back to Mm -hmm. to change your shutter and your aperture and all that kind of stuff. So um, Nikon announced this camera. They've had one like it, um, the actually the ZFC that they've had for a while that is a um, APS-C size sensor. So it's the smaller sensor. Right. Um, I, I didn't want to go from a full frame that I got with the R6, which was amazing, back to a, an APS-C size sensor. So they had announced this ZF that has a full-size sensor in it, um, the full 35 millimeter uh, sensor inside there. So I liked it, and it has moved all of the all of those fiddly dials I was telling you about that you'd use on the menu. They're all on top of the camera laid out almost exactly the way it was on the Nikon, um, I think it was FE camera from the the late 1970s, early 1980s. They've had the button layout was almost exactly the same on the top. Um, So you've got your, you know, your ISO dial, you've got your shutter dial, and then you can, of course, um, use another dial for your f-stop or if the lens has a ring to turn for the f-stop, you can do that as well. So you can click this camera over into M mode and use hard dials for everything turn dials on the camera which was what i wanted i wanted to actually slow down and make it a manual process uh plan is to eventually get a manual lens as well where i have to manually focus for those days when i really want to go old school and have it be a very intentional where i am not snapping a picture but i am making a photograph which is the which is what i was kind of my goal for this was was to do that um, and as a real quick, because of our broader context yeah. of the, the making a photo concept. So when you, I think a lot of us, most of us, maybe 
when you talk about manually working with a lens, for example, and like not to send this down a 30 minute rabbit hole, but what, give us the quick primer on the difference between when you half hold down that shutter button, like what we talked about the, sure. the, the power of the R6, but also something that took you out of that experience was all the magic happened in a fraction of a second. And yep. then you were just taking a picture. And that's, that sounds like exactly what everyone would want, except yes. in the case of what you wanted to do, it took that experience right. away. So I want to be clear. I still want that because right. it's, it's magic because when <laughs> when I am when I'm going out and I'm taking a, a picture, um, like sometimes people have me take pictures for them. Like I did my my niece's um, senior pictures. I did her sure. um, prom pictures, things like that. You know, family members say, "Hey, come take pictures with your nice camera." When I'm doing that, where I want to make sure that every single picture is sharp and I'm getting the picture perfectly every time, having that in the camera is important. This camera still has that, which is very important. Right. Eye autofocus. The you AI don't algorithms, lose it's all those in here. Things. I don't lose it. Um, but there are times when I go out where I want to make a photograph and the difference would be instead of it picking up automatically on somebody's face and then zooming in on their eye and grabbing their eye and saying here's their eye just go ahead and snap away it's always going to be in focus you have to it would be out of focus until you turn that focus ring on the lens and then it would slowly come into focus mm -hmm. until you got it close it can still use the thing about this camera is it can still use that um, AI algorithm in there to pick up on faces and eyes, which is very cool. It has a manual focus assist. So when you start to get focused and it picks up a face, it will pick up the eye and then it will zoom in 200% on their eye for you when you click a button on the back. So you can critical focus on that eye and then you hit the button again and it backs back out so you can compose and take the picture. So it, it like it helps you manual focus where the eye becomes that anchor point yeah. right. for the rest of the photo. So the eye yep. is real big and then you zoom in and you go back and forth and you'll see it blurry this way, clear a little blurry that way. And then you bring it back until it's right in between those two areas. And then, you know, you're Got critically it. focused and you can snap your picture and you've manually focused the photo, which is very cool. I mean, back in the old days, my original Pentax K1000 we've talked about before. Um, yep. it had a split prism. So basically when you were turning the focus, there was in the middle of the frame, you would put that over the edge of something. So if it was a face, you'd put it on the edge of the face, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a box, the edge of the box, and you would see mm -hmm. a break in the line. So like the face would have a break in it where the, the face wasn't lined up. Um, and then you would turn the focus and the focus would slowly bring those two halves together. And then you'd see it kind of go over the other way and then you'd bring it back until those two lines were lined up and then you knew you were focused right. and then you snap your picture. So it's the same process, but that was a million miles away. If you were taking a picture of somebody that yeah. was 50 feet away from you and you're trying to critically focus on them and like, yep. you know, have it go, it was very fiddly. So this is very yeah. cool that it zooms in 200% for you to do that. So it's kind of a, kind of a neat feature for them to, to put on there. But real quick on the, before we get dive deep into the making a photograph thing, this camera is built and I'll try to keep it clean. It's built like a brick outhouse. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's all, it has a magnesium alloy frame on it. Um, and the top panel is all metal. The knobs are actually brass. Like they're, they're milled brass. So they're Very like cool. heavy knobs and they will, they will patina over time when you rub off this black um, paint that's on there and you will start to see like the shiny brass, the brass come through. through as you use them more and more. I mean, I probably, and that's an intentional piece of design. Like you remember yep. they, they talked about like the wear aspect is built yep. into it because the nest we talk about two things in the show a lot, right? Nostalgia and intentionality. If you yeah. like this nostalgia mm -hmm. across this device is very intentional, it's very intentional. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, it has all that stuff. It has, which I, I love, it's so hokey, but I love it. So on the top of the top panel of the camera, in between all the dials, there is a small, tiny little LCD window that like an old school calculator where it has like the separated sections mm -hmm. yep. for the numbers. And yep. its entire purpose is to, sh to show your F-stop. So, so you can look at the top of your camera and see what your f-stop number is right on top of the at camera. At a glance. At a glance yep. with all of your other knobs. So you can look at all your knobs and that little, that little window and see what your exposure is on there, which I, I, you know, I think it's awesome, but it, That's it's, very cool. it's silly, but it's, it's cool. So, and you know, the camera is, like I said, built very sturdy. It's very heavy. It's heavier than my R6, um, and, but smaller, you know, smaller in size. Um, and, uh, 
you know, really, really sturdy across the board, has all those manual features on there, which are very cool. Um, one of my favorite things, which again is another silly thing. It has a, a switch where you can switch it from video to photo. So you can have the two different modes by okay. switch. So when you switch it, then you can go into the menus and you have the video menus, flip it to photo. You'll go into the menus, have the photo menu, but it has a third place on the switch that I love. You click it over and it goes to a dedicated black and white mode. So the oh. camera will, it switches it basically into a JPEG mode that applies a, um, you know, a filter to it, but the, yep. the Nikon filters are excellent for their black and white. So you can flip it over there and then take intentional black and white photos in camera. Um, and if you, if you shoot raw plus JPEG, you'll actually get the color raw and the black and white JPEG. So you get the best of both worlds, but it kind of, you know, if you're intentionally wanting to go out and shoot black and white, like I do sometimes I can flip it over into that mode and do that, um, in camera. And then it has insane video features as well. Um, 4k, uh, 4k 60 oversampled from 6.2k on the sensor um, which is amazing for video it has an hour and 25 minute uh, record time before before shutdown uh, is what they say but of course you can change the high heat threshold and get more than that if you want they have little fans right. that clip in on the back and you can you know get even more time that's for all cameras oh, very cool. have that yeah so you can go nuts with it and you can actually use this so the the gist of this camera is nikon has several lines of cameras like everybody does now they have their z5 z6 z7 which are kind of their older cameras and their new flagship cameras are the z8 and the z9 which are like the z8 is the their first pro level camera it's it's four and a half thousand dollars for the body by itself and oh, then wow. the z9 is more than that um this camera this zf has the same processor um and menu system and autofocus and all of that of the z8 and z9 of the flagship cameras and they have put it inside this compact retro body um, with a 24 and a half megapixel sensor so it's a smaller sensor it's not the 45 megapixel sensor that's in those flagship cameras but still right. a, a good sensor it's four and a, four and a half megapixels more than the r6 was um, i was just gonna say i'm bringing a full circle just that a year ago just back yeah. to that r6 conversation i remember we had a very similar conversation yep. with the r6 and the break how, point that how that many was, megapixels do you need do you yeah. need mm -hmm. and, and the answer for some people i don't want to downplay it there the need is out there so oh, yeah. when we say do you need we literally yeah. mean consider that when making these purchases how many megapixels do you need just like what you're talking about here where the r6 we couldn't and and continue to not be able to say enough great things yeah. about that camera but you decided your need had evolved with the photos you wanted to create right. this system made it more was, sense and it was more the way i wanted to take them than anything yes. I, I don't expect to get a picture out of this camera that's any better or worse than the r6 it will likely yes, be right. very very similar it's just how the process of how i take the photo i wanted to be different um, which will, which I'll get into a little bit now. So the yeah. reason that I did not have the time that I wanted, uh, with this camera to go out and actually take some <laughs> photos last night was, um, I originally came from Pentax. I've, I've changed systems quite a bit in the last decade or so. Um, I shot on Pentax for a long time. I really liked my Pentax DSLRs. They were good. Uh, they ended up getting long in the tooth and I wanted something again, a little bit more like this. So I went into a Fujifilm which always has their retro bodies. I had the XE3, which right. I really enjoyed. It was a fun camera, um, but had, like the DSLRs that I had, had no smarts in it. It had no AI autofocus. It had none of those features. It was just a straight, you know, shoot, point shoot kind of camera. Um, so, but I got some very good photographs with that. Some of my favorite photographs I've got with that one hanging on the wall behind me, I got with that. Um, yep. But um, I eventually wanted more than that. So that's when I ended up going to the R6. So that was... Pentax to Fuji, their menu systems were very much the same. Um, understandable. You know, I could get in and click around. Went to the yep. Canon. The Canon's menu system is probably one of the best menu systems I've ever used. Very intuitive. You, you've mm -hmm. experienced this too, John. Getting yes, in there and so. going into those settings, very intuitive. Picking up this Nikon for the first time, I have never used a Nikon DSLR. I've never used a Nikon. I've never even held a Nikon camera before this one. This menu system is like a different language. <laughs> um, it took me an hour and a half last night to research through the manual that I had plus online to find out where the settings were that I wanted to get for some of my basic settings on this camera and not mm -hmm. the manual settings. Obviously that's easy. You click it to M and you right. turn your dials, but I mean like the autofocus settings mm -hmm. and the things to try to get it to function in a way that I understood with the back focus, um, back button focus, and then turning on the 3d tracking, all that kind of stuff. I was, I was struggling because like I would go in and I got something set up the way I wanted it thinking I had it the way I needed it and went in to try to assign 3D tracking to a button, 
which is like basically you turn on 3D tracking. So like when you've got a fast moving subject, you can and you've got it in focus, you can click click a button and turn on 3D tracking and it will um, it will grab that and keep it as the focus point, even if it runs around the frame, whatever it is, a kid, a dog or whatever, it will grab it and track it around the frame. So I wanted to assign that to a button. It was grayed out in the menu. (laughs) And when you clicked on it, it was like based on the settings of the camera, this is, this setting is not available right now. I'm paraphrasing, but basically that. So I'm like, what the heck? So I have to go in and search through all the documentation and everything. And then I eventually find that you have to be in, obviously it makes sense when you think about it after the fact, you have to be in AFC mode, continuous autofocus mode. And I was in AFS single autofocus mode, which Uh, makes total sense. But I figured turning on the 3d tracking would flip it it into afc but it doesn't you have to be in afc to even assign that mode so it's just it's it's a learning curve it was just a completely different language in the menu and and i'm getting it i'm getting there there's still settings that i'm working out and figuring out and everything so it's going to be a process to get the camera Mm -hmm. to to where i want it but that's fine i love it i mean i love it it may have taken me an hour and a half i was not frustrated ever through the whole thing it was just more like wow i have a lot to learn with this which is fine that's what i'm in this for photography is like you know wow i'm gonna sound like so pretentious right now photography is a journey you know and i'm on this journey you know i'm ready for it with this camera so it's it's gonna take me a while probably before i get usable photos out of this because i'm gonna have to do some figuring with the menus i'll be sitting here you know you know my kid will be there and be like hold on one second i'll take your picture in a second while i figure out all these menus to get the settings where uh-huh. i want them uh-huh. and then pull out my picture. no that's not on. right sit there for a few minutes more while i change some settings you know it's going to be a little bit of that while i get things yes going. but i mean that's the point of this i want to sometimes not all the time but sometimes when i want to have a photo outing day where it's a photography day we do that sometimes my son has a camera my wife has a camera we all go out with our slrs and we go somewhere fun a flower garden a zoo whatever and the whole purpose of the day is to go out and and make some photographs and when we have those days i'm going to flip this thing into manual i'm going to put a manual focus lens on it and i'm going to go out i'm going to close the back on it and only use the viewfinder and i'm going to go out and be very very intentional about the photographs i'm taking every step of the way and be having the power to do that on here is really cool and and easy i guess is the biggest thing it makes right. it feel nostalgic you know yeah. this is very much like the first camera that i had a pentax k1000 is a 100 percent manual camera the only kind of semi sort of kind of automatic thing in it is the light meter it has a light meter built into it which was helpful so you didn't have to measure your sure. light and then do it you could set your f-stop where you wanted it set your iso with the film that you had in the camera and turn your shutter speed dial and then they had a little needle and you would turn until and then when the needle was in the middle on the camera you knew it was in it was you know exposed correctly if it went up or down you know and you could adjust your exposure based on that so other than that it was all manual dials like this everything's manual on it which i'm i'm just excited about going out there and experiencing photography for photography making this so and and for me mate again this is going to be such a conversational journey i think for for many more than just us i mean again we've we've talked about there are many other outlets that we adore and follow very closely they're having the same conversation in parallel with us and it makes me wonder how much of the answer to that question of what is a photo comes down to and when i say that, i mean the little differences between a picture and a photo like i don't know sure. a better way to say i have yeah. tens of thousands of pictures on my phone mm-hmm. I, I i created precious few photographs with right. my phone yeah um and that intentionality that you're describing the decision making process taking all the guardrails away and saying when you press that shutter button having an idea of what you're going to get Mm -hmm. but not really knowing what you're going to get because you know did you make the wrong call with exposure or with focal length or with or all these yeah. things that you have a theory about what you're hoping to get? Maybe you're going to get exactly that. Maybe you're going to get complete unusable rubbish. Maybe you're going to get something special that is amazing and accidental all at the same sure. time. Yeah, and yeah. that that I think is such a huge part of what we're describing is what we're going after. And I think it's a huge piece of what we're losing when what you're seeing in front of, I'm just going to keep picking on phones. When you're, when the biggest decision you're going to make with your phone picture is what 
direction do you want the faces pointing? Because AI right. is going to let you make those decisions after the fact, yeah. even though the faces were never pointing that direction in the first place. Like these are stark, stark differences. And I think the the acceptability that comes down to were you hoping to make a creative decision or did you just want one usable photo of all your cousins around a christmas right. tree mm-hmm. yeah and that's and that's the thing i mean there's very much a, a lot of what people take out there is snapshots and for a lot of people that's enough i mean that's all right. you want you want somebody to throw up on your instagram you want somebody to throw up on facebook to show your family what you've been up to it doesn't need to be art to do that you would like it to be clear you would like it to look good you'd like the colors and the contrast and everything to be good and maybe you throw a filter on there or whatever you do with it and and you you throw it out there for everybody to look at but it feels like and i mean i'm not saying i'm going to be out there creating fine art or anything like that it's it's all of these photographs that i'm creating they're for me um, you know, I don't right. really throw them out there into the world very much. I, I occasionally print some, or maybe I'll make little photo books for us to go through down the road of either vacations or just of pictures that I consider my art. I will put in a little book sometimes, and that way we can look through it down the road and those kind of things. It's all for me. Um, but I just, I very much enjoy that intentionality behind creating the right. photographs. There are so many people that I know out there that are like, that's too much trouble. Like, I just want to take a right. picture. I just want to click take a button picture. and take a picture. Yep. And there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying no. that that's not, you can't get amazing photographs that way. You can. I mean, I've taken some pictures with my iPhone before that I'm like, wow, that's that's amazing. That came out really, really good. Yeah. But it's, you know, I have very rarely, I mean, I've done it sometimes, but I've very rarely taken out my phone to use as a tool to make art. Right. Um, you know, and I've, I've done it before. I had, I had some moment lenses that I would click on my, yep. on my camera to kind of try to do some fun stuff with my, with my phone as my primary camera. But it's for me, not an enjoyable experience No, because we have my finger not to on dis- the screen for exposures yeah. and things like that. And, and, you know, and it, it's just, it doesn't, not, not, to, not to discount it. Cause we've talked about it recently on this show about right. like, say the iPhone 15 pro max and the camera system there. We talked about the generation of creators, the, especially yeah. in the video space that are going to come up with access to these tools and then make amazing things with them. Oh, so yeah. I think for me, one of the biggest things I don't want people to hear is to make art, you have to go buy a three thousand oh, yeah, dollar camera not. system. Right. Absolutely yeah. not. That that, no that artistic expression, that that of that creative ability. I don't care if you if you, if you came across a ten year old iPhone that that all that works on it is the camera. If you set up sure. and create a moment in time that is important to you and maybe speaks to someone else, that is that remains ever more valuable but also as we cede more and more control to the devices and let the device without thought make all those decisions for us i just think it's important the more we think about the want to be able to make those decisions and to retain the ability to do so if i whip out my iphone push the shutter button on and 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 snap a quick picture because i wanted to see that bird perched on the tree over there great that was not me making wildlife photography Mm -hmm. period end of conversation that picture might turn out fantastic because of all the stuff that happened the moment i hit that button on my phone that still wasn't versus me what you described eric going out and saying i'm going to take a walk through the woods with my camera and take pictures of birds like Mm -hmm. those are two different things Mm -hmm. for me and i keep rehashing this all roads lead back to intentionality the difference between finding yourself in a moment and preserving it, which is very, very good and very, very cool. And going out in search of that moment and creating it and yeah. preserving it just feel like two very different courses, two very different paths. I want to circle back real quick. I think you touched on it, but one of my, one of the things that piqued my interest about this specific camera, the ZF yeah. that we came to talk about today was so much of it was not the physicality of the nostalgia, but they put a lot of work into the monochromatic, into the black and white photo system mm-hmm. on this camera. And I remember you saying how much that that immediately spoke to you because that one very specific yeah. creative choice that you would get to make with that camera and and choices they made with right. it. And I mean, that's the thing. This This mode, monochrome mode, is on every single modern camera. It is. You can turn, you can turn it on on it's the iPhone. You can turn yeah. it on on your iPhone. You can turn it on anywhere. It's just, I loved the intentionality that they put behind the design that they gave it a button. They gave it a, a right. toggle where you can mm-hmm. flip it on and it becomes 
just part of the conversation with the camera because again, full manual mode, click it into black and white, manual focus lens, close the back. You essentially have an old film camera at that point in your hands. Sure. The way the, the results you'll get out of it. And I just, I just like that they, it's an, it's another option and it's an easy way to get to that option. And I just, I liked the way that they did that. And their Nikon's, um, formulas that they've put in for their monochrome in here they've got a, a monochrome mode then they have a um like deep monochrome and i think like a um just there's another mode where it's kind of washed out it's sort of like a flat monotone or something like that so you can choose how you want to do it like you take the flat one if you right. want to really work with it afterwards and, and do your own adjustments their their regular monochrome though when i look at the the pictures that are coming out of just their regular monochrome mode they're fantastic they look really right. really good right out of the gate so um I, I just i liked all the formulas that they worked into there and how easy they made it to to click into it again for a lot of people that's going to be very gimmicky there are a lot of people out there that would never want to take a black and white photo i just i really enjoy the aesthetics of a black and white photo that's just a personal preference and and again that's what makes this camera for me there's a lot of people out there. The ergonomics on this camera are terrible. <laughs> yeah. It is it is like holding a bar of soap. It, it I mean it's a big bar of soap in your hands. It's just a square box and um you know it has like the leatherette on there like the old cameras have um but it has just a very tiny little bump where your hand holds but that's it. But if you put a decent sized lens on here, it it's not you can't hold it like you can with a DSLR with your one hand right. comfortably. You can but it, it's not comfortable. You have to hold it by the lens and keep your hand softly on the other side for taking pictures, which is fine. That's how I hold a camera anyway. That's how I've always held a camera. Um, but they make a, an aftermarket accessory. They knew people were going to have this problem because you put a 300 millimeter lens on this thing. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to hold it. It'll pull out of your hands. Um, so they've made a, they partnered with small rig here in the States. Nikon's doing a direct one in Japan, like with their label on it. But in the States, they worked with small rig that makes like film cages for cameras and stuff um, to make an L bracket for this, where basically it goes across the bottom, gives you a little bit of extra room for your pinky along the bottom, and also gives you a bigger bump um, for your right hand to hold onto. That makes it easier to hold when you've got larger lenses. I don't have that yet. I've ordered it so that I can right. see what it feels like and everything. It's like $30. It's like mm -hmm. a $30 add-on. So I grabbed that so that I can add it on here because I, I'm planning on putting on one of the lenses I'm getting for this will be an autofocus um, 100, 105 millimeter lens for um, macro photography. Um, and it's it's quite a long lens. So I wanted to make sure that I had that grip on here yeah. to be able to, to hold on to that. So um, yeah, it's ergonomically, it's it's not great. It's not going to be a camera for everyone. Uh, if you want ergonomics, if you want that nice DSLR handheld and you want a Nikon system, this is not the camera for you. It's, you know, mm -hmm. they, they have plenty in their line that are for you um, in every price range. Um, this is very, this camera is very specifically for someone who wants that nostalgia. I can't see anybody right. buying this that didn't enjoy that kind of nostalgia or wants to, because there's a lot of people out there. there um, Fuji makes a camera, the X, um, X100V. Um, is a camera that Fuji makes that has all these manual dials on the top. They also make an XT that has all the dials on the top and um, a fixed lens. And it became a sensation on TikTok, this camera. Okay. It, it became like a big thing on TikTok. The, the X100V has been sold out for like five years. Oh, you wow. can't get it. But they go they go for double the price right now. Anywhere oh you go. Oh my gosh. Um, used ones go for like two grand. And the camera was like $12.99, I think, when it came out or $15.99 or something like that. So, you know, they go for $2,500. I've seen them upwards of 4000 when it was like at its, at its peak. At, yeah. At its peak. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just crazy. So it became, there's people, there's younger TikTok generation people that would like this camera as well. People who, sure. who gravitated toward that X100V and went, wow, that's such a cool camera. I wanted mm -hmm. to do that. This camera would work for them if they can't find one of those. Because um, wow. you get this and you get with that 28 millimeter pancake lens or the 40 millimeter pancake lens and put it on there, the prime lens. And, and it's essentially the same thing as that X100V. You have all the settings and, and you actually would have a, an AI autofocus system and all of the built-in smarts that Fujifilm didn't have until their absolute latest cameras that they just put mm -hmm. out the x100v does not have any of that so you'd get a lot more features from this camera than you would from that one and still have all that intentionality of manual photography on there that people have been looking for so it, i think it's a great camera but again 
not for everybody. There's a lot of, if you look this camera up online, you will see there is a, a stark difference in people reviewing it. There are people who absolutely love it. And there's <laughs> people that are like, this camera has great internals, but it's, it's horrible to hold. I will never purchase right. this camera. Mm -hmm. And they just, they don't want that. you know, there, there's a, a photographer that I like does a YouTube channel. Um, his, uh, it's Frono's photo. He's got like a big, um, Afro and everything. And it's, you know, Frono's photos. And he, um, he had, he does not like it. He talked about the internals, the photos he was getting out of the camera. And he was like, this is, it, it takes great photographs. He's, but he complained the entire episode about, about how the ergonomics the yeah. whole time. And it was very obviously not the camera for this guy, but he was reviewing it because he got a review copy. Um, but mm -hmm. it didn't seem like it was a camera he was ever going to own. Um, and then there's other people that I've seen review it that just don't stop raving about how amazing it is. And all they talk about is the nostalgia. So it's very much a nostalgia ride, this camera. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it. I know I will, but it's definitely, you know, look at it, go to your local camera store, pick it up and hold it before you purchase right. this. Unless you know you're going to love a retro camera, definitely go check it out and pick it up and hold it in your hand with a decent sized lens on it before you decide, because it might be the deciding factor if you're in the market for a camera. So how is, um, how's demand looked for this one so far? I know you had concerns about even getting yeah. one quickly and then so, poof, there it appeared. Sure. Yeah. Nikon did a press release that demand for the camera was higher than expected and, you know, to expect delays, um, which I was selling my cameras on eBay and everything to get the money for this. So I was waiting to pre-order it until uh, I had the money in the bank because I didn't want to pre-order and have them charge my card and I didn't have the money in there for it. So I was waiting and waiting, waiting and seeing these articles come out about demand being really high for it and, you know, to prepare for long waits. And I'm like, oh, great, I'd resign myself to I'm going to put it in when I finally have the money and then I won't get the camera for six months. I was like, fine, whatever it is, what it is. It's going into winter anyway. The only photography I would do would be indoors. I'll just wait. And um, I ordered it the day before. OK, so it originally showed the release date of October 31st for the U.S. Mm. Overseas release dates were October 13th. Right. Um, I pre-ordered it on October 12th. So a full month after pre-orders opened up, mm -hmm. I pre-ordered it and it shipped on the 13th. <laughs> so awesome. it, it released, <laughs> it released at the same time around the world. They, they didn't know if they were, maybe they didn't know they were going to be able to or, sure. or whatever it was, but yeah. you know, it originally was marked for the 31st in the U S and it ended up releasing the same time it released everywhere else. I think a few people like the overseas people, they had it in the camera stores before we did maybe, it seems uh, like it okay. seems like people in Japan and India, like physical and distribution, China, which, which makes sense in those markets. They were they yeah. they had cameras in hand before we had them because I think they shipped it even to the camera stores in the U.S. on the thirteenth, or there was an embargo like maybe like B and H and those kind of places had them in stock but couldn't put them on the floor until the thirteenth and that kind of thing. Um, but everybody everybody basically that I saw that got shipping notifications was getting their cameras yesterday when I got mine. Gosh. So. So there will be a lot more reviews coming out probably in the next week or two, I would think, as more and more people get their hands on the on the camera, the actual camera. So, well, qu well a couple quick, par <clears throat> excuse me, a couple quick parting thoughts. Um, one that has nothing to do with our topic, to, well, our broader topic, and one that does. I'm gonna start with the one that's off the walls because that's what everyone expects from us. Um, another thing that drove you not to but maybe towards this camera was something else you told me. And I think it's worth circling back on a year later after our R6 purchase. Sure. Um, Canon made some decisions also oh, on the lens front yeah. that I just I just think it's worthwhile for any of our for any of our loyal listeners that love pressing yeah. a good shutter button. We we continue to say great things about the R6. Yes, this is not an R6 problem, but this was definitely a oh, Canon decision and, that I think is worth making note of. And 100% Canon's lenses are top of the line. They are yes. amazing quality lenses. Um, the problem is with the RF series of lenses, they will be the only lenses you will be able to purchase. They were originally talking about doing a, opening up the lens mount for third parties. Um, right. Tamron, yeah. Sigma, and we talked about that. I think when we, yep. yeah. Um, yeah, they, they've since basically backtracked and said, they're not going to do it. Of course, that's probably subject to change as people get in an uproar. Maybe, maybe, maybe it'll change. Maybe it won't. But as of right now. They have not opened the lens mount, and it doesn't appear that they have plans to open the lens. No, mount. it's let's call it what it is. We we went back and looked. So the the R six specifically, that's mm -hmm. when we can speak most directly towards, came out in twenty twenty one. Yep. 
we purchased, uh, I'm sorry, or did we say 2020? 2020. 2020. 2020. Yep. yep. Um, we purchased ours in 20. August or late July, early August, 2022. Mm-hmm. And even by that, so by that point, the camera had been out for basically two years and there was still talk. And right. um, there here we been, are over a year after that purchase. And now been that a lens that there had been a third party, there, there are third party lenses for it, I guess I should say. They are all manual focus. Um, so uh, third party autofocus lenses, um, they have not released the, you know, information for that. There was a sure. Chinese company, Viltrox, that reverse engineered mm. the chip and put out an 85 millimeter 1.2 autofocus lens that was one third the cost of the one that you could get. Um, maybe it was 1.4 or 1.8, whatever it was. It was an 85 millimeter, really bright lens that they put out that competed directly with one from Canon. Canon has an 85 1.2 that's like a thousand dollar lens. It's an amazing lens. Big boy Um, lens, yeah. And the one from Viltrox was like, I think it was like 399 or 499, you know, out of the box. Wow. Um, And and it's it's a great lens. People got that lens and were like, holy cow, this is amazing. Canon sent them a cease and desist and they're no longer allowed to manufacture it. Yeah. Um, so, so there are, there are some out there in the wild. You can find that 85 millimeter. They're of course more expensive now because they're rare because they can't make them anymore. Um, but they are out there and you know, you think that early experience on Canon's part led to inform their decision of if we open this up, our, our first party lens sales could sure. take a, such a sufficient drop. hit that yeah, it was a threat I'm, to the business model. I mean, it would be ridiculous to think it wasn't part of the conversation. I mean, that's sure. gotta be what they were, what they were going for right was that they want to keep everybody in house and again you're going to get great lenses they've got great lenses they really really do um but as we talk about the show all the time then then sell better lenses than everyone else and people will buy your lenses walled gardening your glass is not the way yeah to compete it's an interesting thought i mean the the nikon z series they have opened up their lens mount there are not a ton of third-party lenses yet but there are more and more coming all the time because people can. Yeah, exactly. yeah, the option to do it. Yeah. yeah, you've got the option. I mean, you could. there are some Sigmas. There are some Tamrons. You know, there's a few. There's, I think, one of those two. I don't remember which one. Currently only has prime lenses. They don't have any zooms right. yet, but they're coming. I mean, they're just, they're working on it. They're adapting their lenses. Um, there's a lot of uh, Chinese manufacturers like Samyang and uh, Viltrox. And, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess I should say, like, the whole Asian block over there that manufactures lenses. I think there's some in India, some in China, some in sure. in Japan, some in Korea. They're like that whole area over there. They they have several companies that are making third party lens autofocus lenses for this that are of varying qualities. You know, there are some that people rave about. There are some that people say they're kind of soft. They're okay. You know that kind of thing. But again, most of these lenses you're getting for like three or four hundred dollars. I was gonna say, but the choice exists, and when someone just there needs or wants to get a lens and the option is not there for them to spend $3,000 on that lens. That's what the inferior, cheaper option exists for. And that's one of the big things about this too, that I'm talking about with my manual kick that I'm on for this lens is I can get a manual focus lens for this camera, but that manual focus lens that I'm going to get is an expensive lens. It's a very high end manual focus lens that I want to get for this. It's cost as much as an autofocus lens. Um, But the optical quality is insane. It's really, really good. And it has, all of the electrical contacts on the lens that an autofocus lens would have because it transmits information from the lens to the camera and back and forth for all of the the in-body image stabilization and the focus and the f-stop and all of that stuff it transfers that information back it has all of the um you know when you shoot with the lens and it has that um exif data on the photograph it will mm-hmm. list the lens that you took it with. And a lot of manual focus lenses that don't have those electrical contacts, they don't, you don't have that. Obviously it can't send that information to the photo that you're taking. So you don't get that EXIF data. Right. So it has all of that built in because they open the lens mount and you're allowed to have that. So even their manual focus lenses are a better experience than they would be when the mounts are closed. Because so, of that. Because yeah. of that. So, you know, and I'm sure maybe, maybe you can do that with Canon as well. I'm not sure, but I know that Canon's manual focus experience I don't think they have any geared focus assist stuff that works in the same way that it does built in with this camera. Like you put a manual focus lens on it, it flips over to manual focus mode, focus peaking turns on where you focus. And as you focus, the colors light up on the image of the areas that are in focus. So you can tell where your focus is and what's in focus on your image based on some coloration that comes up on it. And you can also do that, like that 200% zoom that I told you about for the critical focus has a lot of features built in that I don't feel like you see in a lot of places that kind of let you do those manual things if you choose to, which is, which is kind of nice. So, 
Sorry, I started rambling. You had another no, one. No, that, oh, no. then this one, that was exactly what I was going after. And, and the last one, and I'm going to do my best to remember to do a some rendition of this at the end of each of these conversations, because sure. this, this topic is going to span, it could span years. Yeah. It, it may never get answered. Right. Because it's going to, it's, it's a floating point among our cultural moment with these devices and what we want. You know, you wanted a camera that would allow you to have the sensation even sometimes, if not the reality, I keep going back to the black and white, the, the monochromatic mode. Yeah. It's still doing computational photography yep. to make that happen. There's not another sensor in the camera. Nope. So some of this is perception versus reality, right? Which yeah, is at the core of the entire photograph yeah. conversation. Yep. So what I'm going to try to make a point to remember to ask is in regards specifically to the Nikon ZF that we're here to talk about today, do you believe this camera is going to empower you to take to take great pictures and conversely do you feel it is going to empower you to make great photos yeah i i think i think the answer to both of those questions is yes i think that um it the sensor is a very high quality sensor on here so the quality of the photographs that you get out of it are only going to be limited by your skill sure so if you have these skills to take a photograph, a good photograph, this ca this camera is a tool that will allow you to take amazing pictures and make art without a doubt with, with as much or as little intentionality as you want to put into it, you will get out of it because it gives you, you go all of the different and, If you want to go out and hold down that shutter button and just spray and pray across yeah. the landscape, that you're going to get touch on. 14 frames a second. I can yep. take 14 pictures a second with this camera and, and have it sit there in burst mode and fill up the buffer and then write to the cards and do it again. And I can go out and do sports photography with this. I can do this camera sure. will do anything you throw at it. There are better tools for, for different jobs than this camera, but, but it will do, it. will do everything you would want it to do with as much or as little intentionality as you want to put behind it. You can make it a fully manual experience. You can make it a fully automatic experience. There are, there, there is actually, one of the things I'll touch on in here when we get into the computational photography, this camera has a first for a Nikon camera. Other cameras do this. This is first for Nikon. It has pixel shift. So mm -hmm. I can set this camera on a tripod and take 32 photographs and then put it into Canon, uh, Nikon's program and it will merge those 32 photographs into a 96 megapixel image. Yep. So, nice. and, and again, that's computational photography. Yep. It gives you the option. So if I want to take a crazy if i got this landscape with these beautiful skies and everything's just lining up with the lighting perfectly i can take my regular pictures and then i can you know what i'm going to pixel shift this thing and pixel shift and take a giant 96 megapixel photograph that i then have the ability to to crop and move and do whatever i want with it gives you all of the options that you could have to make great manual photographs from beginning to end with nothing applied to it because you can go straight raw right into the camera and mm -hmm. that's it and have exactly what that sensor picked up or you can go as far into computational photography as you want to with this. Well, and while it is definitely computational photography, I do feel this is literally my feelings on the topic. What you just described, that pixel pixel shift feature that we know is across other makers and manufacturers yeah. as well. As I understand it, until you choose to dump it into Photoshop and manipulate and make changes, the difference for me is every single one of those pixels were there. Were there, sure, absolutely. Yep. And... That that's deeper into this conversation that we're going to continue to get that the line that I'm continuing to dr see form in front of me is the difference between showing me using computational photography to show me a version of something that was actually in front of me versus creating something that never existed. Right. Correct. And that there's so much of it there. Yeah. There's I, more to be had there. I don't know the answer. Right. I know how I feel about the answer, but I don't yeah. think any of us actually know the answer to that yet. No, I don't think so either. But I, again, this this tool for me, the Nikon ZF, will work exactly the way that I wanted it to once I figure out all the menus. Um, <laughs> I will be able to take, I think, great photographs with this, with the ability to go fully manual and really make it a a photography experience from beginning to end. I will be able to do that with this camera. And then when I'm just out at a park and just want to snap some pictures of my kid or whatever at a tennis match or something like that, I can throw this thing into 14 frames a second and get some pretty cool sports photos with it, you know, and then I can, yep. it has eye autofocus for humans and animals. It does, um, it does 
like airplanes, cars, all that. It has all that computational photography for the autofocus built in there as well. So I can go full auto and, and know that I'm going to get sharp pictures that way as well. So I have, it gives you all the options, which is, which I think is pretty cool. Wow. I don't know any better, any better place than to say on that bombshell. I think that's where we will uh, wrap it up for this week. Um, Again, this topic isn't going anywhere. We will be back on it with other takes on other hardware, um, takes on our experiences with hardware we've already got. Um, I want this conversation to exist. You know, it's already existing many other places than just here, but this is obviously bringing all the way back to the phones we've talked about lately. Trillion dollar companies are tent polling their flagship devices on these features. On photography. They, yeah. ob- they obviously realize it's what people are out to buy. Mm-hmm. And if it's what people are out there buying, we should be discussing the why. Yeah, and that's absolutely. just, that's where I keep coming back to. So, yeah. With that, anything else you guys have before we wrap it up? Yeah, I got one more thing to say. So, on this subject, it is. No matter what camera you use, whether it's this one or it's your phone that you're just snapping pictures, be more intentional with your photographs and take some that you actually intend to print. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. so many people just blast photos and then, and then they never see them, on their them phone again. And they never see the light of day. Go, go make a, go to Shutterfly, go to, you know, not a sponsor, go, go to one of these companies that, you know, lets you make photo books and, and make a little photo book of your kid or, or, you know, your spouse or whatever, just go print some photos because it is such a great experience to have the photographs that you've created in front of you in a tangible way. Um, And there are probably a lot of people that either haven't done that in a long time or possibly have never done that. And just get some photos printed and hang some of your photos. Like we have a thing in in, um, our son's room that has, it's basically two pieces of wood that are connected to the wall that then has strings running String. between it and yep. have mm-hmm. on it. And we print photos of our outings and things. And keep and changing them, them out, people. right? And we change them yep. out on the, on the board. So just get one of those boards in your room and throw photographs up there that you've printed out. Just even if you just go to Walmart or something like that and print them out of the automatic machines that they have there, just get some photos printed so you can have tangible photos in your house of experiences because it's it's nice to have and it's you know worth it i think so now i'm getting off my soapbox (laughs) well i agree i agree all right well with that i think we will wrap it up go take some photos find a place to print them and uh, we'll catch you next time Later. later